You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're going to look pretty in detail at a passage in Scripture that Luke writes about in the life of Jesus. And when I think of Jesus, I think he was a pretty big celebrity. The problem with celebrities today is that they go out and they get mobbed, right? You go out, if they live in Hollywood, they go outside, and the moment they crack their door, there are paparazzi waiting right there to take pictures of them. And then they jump in the car, and they follow your car around wherever your car goes, and then they snap pictures of you going into a restaurant or going into somewhere else. And you have no privacy. If you are a celebrity today, you are like a captive at times in your own house. Like, you are, that's the way it works. And you have to have security. You have to have barriers so that the public can't get to you. They can't access you because you're just in demand. And Jesus was a bit of a celebrity, but in his day, there were no paparazzi. By the way, we visited Nashville recently, and do you know that in the city of Nashville, being a paparazzi is illegal? And that's why a lot of artists will relocate places like that because they feel like I can take my my family out for a little coffee and I won't just get mobbed by the paparazzi. And maybe or maybe not, people in public might or might not recognize me. And so they actually do that. But Jesus was a celebrity. Everywhere he went, people wanted to hear him. Everywhere he went, people wanted to see him. He didn't have security around him. And they would just come on out. They would just come out from everywhere. And there wasn't social networking. There wasn't video. There wasn't audio recordings. So if you were going to hear Jesus or you were going to interact with Jesus, you had to go. You had to get out there. You had to be part of the crowd. You had to see him with your own eyes or hear him with your own ears. And all these people wanted Jesus' attention. All these people wanted to follow Jesus. And interestingly, Jesus regularly put up barriers for superficial followers. He would put up, in a sense, almost a hurdle for superficial followers who wanted to follow after him because they just were enthusiastic. They wanted to be part of the crowd. Jesus wanted whole life commitments. Listen, you won't see Jesus pressuring people in his preaching. You won't see him pressuring them with hellfire sermons. You won't see Jesus like pressuring people with incredibly emotional stories. You won't see Jesus being like trying to get people to make impulse decisions. Now or never, come on, decide. You won't see Jesus doing any of that. Why? Because salvation is a serious business and should not be taken lightly. Salvation, your relationship with God, your entrance into heaven is a big deal. It shouldn't be taken lightly. It is the path to freedom. It is the path by which we are forgiven. And it is the the thing that where you and I have to make a decision based on our following of who Jesus actually is. The problem is a lot of people want to follow Jesus based on their options based on their conveniences, and based on their terms. And that is something that time and again in Scripture, we're going to watch Jesus flat out refuse. He's going to refuse that time and again. Why? Because there's too much at stake when it comes to your salvation. So if you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 9. We're going to go all the way near the end of the chapter, verse 57. It says this, as they were walking along the what? Help me out here. The road. Okay, now we know the context. Where are these guys at? They're on the road. A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I'll follow you, Lord. 
But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Here's why you need today's sermon. You must consider the cost of following Jesus. You have to decide. You got to consider the cost of following him. Keeping your options open is simply the worst possible option. But we live in a culture that always wants to keep its options open, don't we? You want to like keep your option open. If I don't like this plan, I'll take the hit. I'll turn to my cell phone back in and I'll get a new cell phone with a new company and I'll go with them even though I take the hit. If I don't like this and I'll go with something else. And people do that with relationships. People do that with business. People do that with the services that they hire all the time. We live in a culture where people always keep the option open. They always keep the door open a crack so they can leave if they wanted to. And Jesus strategically would put up barriers against that kind of follower in the kingdom of God. So we're going to start today on your outline. Write this down. The first guy he interacts with is the enthusiastic volunteer. By the way, are there any Enneagram 7s in here? My enthusiast, where are you at? Come on, shout it out. You can do it. There you go. Yes, you're in the room, and you're enthusiastic. I mean, you, don't, you have this fear of missing out. You want to be a part of where things are happening. And the first guy that Jesus encounters as they're walking along the road, right, this man says to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. When he says the son of man, he's referring to Isaiah's forecasting. That's the phrase he used all the time of the Messiah. So Jesus is talking about himself. He's saying, listen, some people have their forever home, but me, I don't have a place to lay my head. And he says, foxes and birds, foxes have dens. You dig it down in there, and that's where the foxes have their little pups, their little kits, and they are safe in there, and it's comfortable. And, and birds fly way up in the tree, and they've got a nest up there, and it's a safe place, and it's a place where they go, and it's a comfortable place for them. Well, Jesus lived in a politically charged culture at the time because Israel was occupied by Rome. So Israel is a nation, but they are occupied by a foreign power. And so you've got some people in there who have positions of Israeli power, but they are like puppet kings. You've got King Herod, for example. And King Herod is, says he's a king, but in reality, he's got to do what Rome tells him to do. And so what does he do? He's like a puppet king. So he, he brings around him all these people, and basically King Herod does what King Herod wants to do. And he's in a safe location. He'll do enough for Caesar, but really what he's going to do is make life all about what he wants to do, where his comforts are, and he's going to live as he pleases. And there were people who would come along and attach themselves to someone like Herod and say, if I could just get along with Herod, if I could be part of his camp, I'll have a den. I'll have a nest. I'll have a safe little secure place, and this will be where I spend my time because I'm looking for some safety in life. And Jesus at times, you might not realize it, but Jesus at times... Reference politics in a politically charged environment. But you and I, being Westerners, we might not recognize it. In fact, he says, foxes have dens and birds have nests. And he's referencing, quite possibly, the life of Herod. In fact, later in Luke chapter 13, just a few chapters ahead, it says this, at, some time, uh, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place, go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. And he replied, go tell that what? Fox. 
Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. What three days do you think Jesus is talking about? What three days? On the third day, he will achieve his goal, his death, his burial, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. Jesus is saying, you can't get rid of me with threats. I'm on mission for the kingdom of God. It's very possible that this man, this enthusiastic volunteer, was trying to attach himself to Jesus. Jesus is a man on the rise. It looks like, well, I can't attach myself to Herod. I don't have any royal line, but this guy, Jesus, he's one of us. If I could just attach myself to him, I'll create under this occupied nation a nest or a den and a safe place. It's quite possible that that's exactly what this enthusiastic volunteer is looking to do. This follower wants to be in on the successes and the benefits of following Jesus. But Jesus is going to naturally put up a barrier to that kind of followership. Why? There's too much at stake. And so write this down. Jesus is not the victorious figure you expect. He walks in the way of sorrows. So my question is, are you willing to walk with Jesus in that way? Or are you looking for a safe little nest or a safe little den? Are you willing to walk with Jesus in the way of sorrows? Second, have you considered the cost of following Jesus? Following Jesus isn't all about benefit, it's about cost. There's cost to you. There's cost to doing everything as you please. There's cost to doing things the way that God would have us do. There's cost that we serve not just ourselves, but we serve his big picture kingdom. And the story of us fits into the big picture of God. It's a beautiful cost, but there's cost nonetheless. Jesus fulfills his ministry through rejection and even sometimes humiliation. Hanging naked on a cross, taking the sin and the shame and the guilt of the world upon himself. That's humiliating. But it was exactly what was required to accomplish his goal, accomplish his mission. And last, true disciples consciously decide to follow a rejected leader. Do you realize that that's what you and I are doing when we decide to follow Jesus? I am choosing to follow a leader that the world rejects. I'm choosing to say I'm part of his party. At the expense of all other parties, I'm a part of his party first. And he's a rejected leader. Because the world will laugh, they'll scoff, they'll deny. But he's the only way by which salvation comes to people. And when affliction or persecution arises, the enthusiastic follower is going to be one of the first to fall away. Why? Because it's scary. Why? Because all of a sudden you realize, wow, there's some costs involved, and I'm going to keep my options open. And so this enthusiastic volunteer makes this statement. He's like, I will follow you wherever you go, and Jesus sees through him. And so he puts up a natural barrier. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 8, the previous chapter, told a parable about seeds falling on different types of soil. And this particular individual would be like the first seed that fell on the rocky soil. And Jesus, as he describes the seed being the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the message is received by different soils. This is the rocky soil. And what it means is right away at first, he received it with joy, but he has no root. And when a time of testing arises, he immediately falls away. Listen, I want to tell you this today, and I want you to hear it well. It's not in your outline, but I truly believe it's time to give up 
the illusion of a problem-free life. It's time to give that up. You realize that is the American dream, right? Somehow I can just get everything settled and everything secure so I have a problem-free life. But it's an illusion. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's like it was raining last night and it's sunny right now. It's not going to last. It's a vapor. And it's time for some of us in this room to give up this illusion that if I just add Jesus to my life, I'll somehow have a problem-free life. It's an illusion. You know that some of you are keeping your options open? You know why? Because you want the blessing of God without sharing in the humiliation and suffering of Jesus. You're in it for yourself, but when it comes to like sacrificing or obeying or like tithing, you opt out. You always want to have like a leg out and be like, I'm out of here. I don't know about that. I like the blessing part of God. I don't know about obedience and following him and obeying him and making him my Lord and my master. You want Jesus to provide a den. You want Jesus to provide a nest, a place of safety and security and freedom where you could live as you please. But I need to tell you something. This world right now has the authority of Satan in it. And you just can't say, oh, I got God with me and kind of hide behind God when you're really keeping your options open. And Jesus knew this. There's too much at stake. So you count the cost of following Jesus. See, those seeking security in this life run against the danger of forgetting God. Let me just ask, if Christianity this week, our nation went crazy and Christianity this week became illegal. I'm talking illegal. Like against the law for you to meet and gather like this for all of us. Next week, would you be here? It could cost you your job. It could cost you your life. It could cost you you go to jail. You'd have to go and spend time in court. You'd have to hire an attorney, get attorney fees. You'd probably lose if it's illegal. Would you be here? See, in America, we're comfortable and there are other places around the world where it's not so comfortable. But they have to choose. What's the cost of being a Christ follower? Right now in China, brothers and sisters feel the greatest strain from persecution and restrictions. In fact, it's escalating in China right now. And locals who meet in homes are systematically being visited and told they can no longer meet. And most change locations or they split into smaller groups. Yet as one young man said about the current climate, he said this, I count it all joy. We will not stop meeting. Isn't that awesome? They just know. We're going to get persecuted. It's going to get uncomfortable. We choose to walk the way of rejection. We choose to walk the way of sorrows. We choose to walk the way of suffering and even persecution. So the first guy comes along. He's all enthusiastic. I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus puts up a barrier. Now Jesus changes his tactic because they're walking along the road. And as they're walking along the road, Jesus picks somebody out of the crowd. You're there just to listen. And all of a sudden, Jesus picks this guy out of the crowd. And he says this to what I call the stalling recruit. The stalling recruit. He stalls. Here's what he says, Luke 9, 59. Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him the most comfortable, I mean like, comforting words of Jesus ever. He said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, when we read this in English, we think, what is up with Jesus? Like, seriously, it sounds like this guy's father died and you just like let him bury himself. Like he's going to crawl in the tomb or something. Like it's the most uncaring thing you think is what Jesus is saying. You're like, why would he not allow this man to go and bury his father? Now, remember something. 
It's clear as Luke is writing this that any reader would realize that this is happening as they walk along the what? The road. They're out on the road. See, this man is not taking care of his family affairs right now. He's not doing funeral arrangements. He's come out to see Jesus just like everybody else. And so he's out there watching Jesus, and it's taking place along the road. He's out seeing this unlikely celebrity. And Jesus sees it, and Jesus calls him out. You know what the real problem is? His dad's not dead. See, Jewish people who would read this, any Middle Eastern reading this would know, he's not dead. You know why? Because Jewish people don't embalm. If you die, they bury you right away because you're going to stink right away. Like, they bury you quick. They do that. He's not making funeral arrangements. He basically is saying, Jesus, I want to delay following you until my father dies and I'll receive my inheritance. What is he saying? Jesus, once I'm secure enough, then I'll follow you. So he's stalling. Oh, wait, Jesus, I didn't get everything in order so I can follow you now. Like, let me go take, let me wait until my pressing matters are finished, and then I'll follow you. Jesus sees right through it and challenges him. The issue is security. Once I'm secure, then I'll follow you. In the Old Testament, God tells the nation of Israel this in the law. He says this in Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 14. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. What does God know about comfort? That it's easy for us in comfort to get arrogant or proud and to forget God and the cost of discipleship. Let me ask you, have you forgotten something? Have you, in fact, maybe forgotten God? See, many stalling recruits seem content with doubt. I just got to get my doubts answered. And it's a weird thing in our culture right now because it seems humble for a person to say in our culture, it seems humble for them to say, you know, hmm, gosh, I'm I'm just not really sure. I'm not really sure. It's almost like that has become a virtue in our culture. While on the other hand, a person of strong conviction is suspicious. They're like, I don't know if I should trust that guy. They've got such strong conviction. But the person of doubt seems like they can be trusted. Conviction and strong conviction is not the enemy. Pride is, God would say. Arrogance is, God would say. So a person who's a stalling person, not wanting to make a decision for Jesus, maybe one who's hanging out this this bait of doubts, is is the person they're often going to stall because of the excuse of doubt. Now let me say something. If you're here today and you're like, I've not accepted Christ in my life. I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I, I have not made that decision in my life. I'm just checking things out. I want to know who Jesus is. I want to check out churches. I want to figure out what's going on in my life. I want to explore faith. Let me just say, if that's you today, you're in exactly the right spot. This is the best place that you can come because you're being active. You're saying, I want to go check it out. I want to get my questions answered. The problem is the person who hides behind doubt and they aren't actively getting their questions answered, in reality, they've already decided to not follow. And that was the case with this man. He got put on the spot, and he's, oh, I got to stall, Lord. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to follow. 
Write this down. Loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom is more important than loyalty to what is normal in your culture. It's normal in our culture. And we want to be like people oftentimes are like, I want to look like I just fit into culture, but I also want to be a believer. And the truth is the cost of following Jesus at times makes us countercultural. And so where you get set apart, write this down. The cultural demands of the community are not acceptable excuses for failure to follow Jesus as a disciple. See, we're always saying, hey, it's normal. Everybody's doing it. So it's got to be okay for me, even though scripture might be against it, right? And so this is what happens, right? All the time, people are like, they want to stall. People want to stall from following Jesus. And they'll say things like, Lord, I want to follow you. But let me just live with my girlfriend for a few years. Just a few years. And then we'll get it together and then we'll follow you. And it's so interesting because even a recent study this week, a secular study showed that those who cohabitate or live together before marriage often experience a less satisfying sexual relationship in marriage. It's almost like God's like, listen, you need to understand that the covenant of a man and a woman together within the safety and the security of a lifelong marriage commitment brings security. It brings security to your den or to your nest. And maybe God knew what he was talking about all along. And other people stall. They'll say, well, God, I understand. But let me just get established in my career because I just got a wife and I got kids and I just get going and life just becomes life. Let me get established in my career and then I'll follow you. Or other people will say, well, Lord, let me get out of debt first and get enough finances in and then I'll start to honor you with the first of my income. Or other people will say, Lord, come on. <laughs> like, let's not take this religion thing too seriously. I mean, right? Nobody gets so serious about it, God. It's serious. Other people say, Jesus, I lo- God bless you. I love your false humility, but do you really mean that your disciples have to share in your suffering and not just your glory? Can't we just skip straight to glory? And other people will say, Lord, I'm, I'm just a child or I'm a teenager. I'll follow you when I'm older. And they just stall. They're a stalling recruit. I'll follow you when I'm older. And a lot of you in this room, some of you, you're going to be like, Lord, I'll follow you when I'm older. But the problem is you haven't looked in the mirror in a long time because you're still acting like a teenager when, in fact, if you looked in the mirror, you'd realize you have grown up. And you're not guaranteed time in the future. None of us are, whether we're young or old, are we? And so the time is now. And Jesus puts up a barrier, if you will, for the stalling recruit because there's too much at stake. Write this down. Followers of Jesus participate in and proclaim the kingdom of God. They are not spectators. This recruit, this guy who stalls, he models the seed that Jesus told about in the parable, which fell among the thorns. And what happens is that little, that little plant shoots up, and then it gets choked out by weeds and the carries and the concerns and the pleasures of the world. And so the stalling recruit is like, there's still some pleasures I want to experience. There's still some things I want to do, and there's still some worries I have, God. And so until I think I get those answered, or until I get to experience those, I'm not going to follow you. And they stall. Judas, by the way, was one of these kind of guys. Recruited by Jesus, followed him for three years, and thought eventually this guy is going to be on the rise. Eventually he's going to overthrow Rome. Eventually he's going to kick Rome out as the Messiah. I'm going to be one of the people on his right-hand side, and I will have my nest. 
I will have my den if I associate with Jesus. But when Jesus began to walk the path of suffering and Judas saw the writing on the wall, he said, you know what? God, bl God bless me. I've given it enough time. Three years. I've stalled. And this is not going where I think it should go. And so what did he do? He sold Jesus out for blood money. And it destroyed his life. It wrecked him. There's too many people in this world who are stalling, waiting for Jesus to be what they expect him to be and not being submitting themselves to the God who is. And it's going to wreck their life. Write this down. The next guy is a people-pleasing volunteer. Luke 9:61 says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You'll want to write this down. The approval of your family, if it conflicts with Jesus's authority, is a distraction to be avoided if you're to be useful to God. I mean, how many people have been there who are like, I want to, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't know. Like, and so I want to go back and I want to feel like I need a second opinion. So you go back and maybe I'll go check with my family and see if they approve of me following Jesus. And, and maybe they'll talk me out of this impulsive moment. Maybe they'll talk me out of a lifelong commitment and they'll challenge that. And I'll be like, oh, man, wow, I don't know if I should follow Jesus. And they want to stall. Let me use my family so I can pull back. Let me use my family so I can stall. And I want to let you know that the call of the kingdom of God must take precedence over all other loyalties over all other loyalties see until you've had to go home and come out to your family as a Christian then I don't know if you are one and for some people you came home and said I've made a decision for Christ and your family's a Christian family and they celebrated and they were so happy for you to come to the Lord and make a decision that you own on your own it's not your parents decision it is now your decision and good job for you and they're great but a lot of other people in this room you come out and somebody's going to hate you your spouse your family somebody else they're not going to like what you decided and you need to come out and declare it say I'm a Christian the call of the kingdom of God must take precedence over all other loyalties. That's why Jesus cautioned the crowd in Luke 14. He said this, and when we read it in English, people also misunderstand. Listen to it. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. People are like, what is, is Jesus preaching hate? Hate your brothers and sisters and your mom and dad and your life? What's going on? He's not preaching hate. What he's doing is he's putting up a barrier and saying, all other loyalties must be subject to the loyalty to me. Why? Because he's God. It is a right expectation. It is a right that the call of the kingdom of God must take precedence over all other loyalties. So listen, if God is calling you to go to Bible college, then you have to decide. If your family disagrees, you still got to decide. You've got to choose what you're going to do there. If becoming a Christian causes you to be rejected by your family, then you need to choose. And if following God ticks off your husband or your wife, then you still have to make a decision, don't you? And if becoming a Christian means you're going to lose some friends that you really like, then you need to decide and you need to declare that you become a Christian out loud. And if God is calling you to go to a foreign country and teach English as a second language and then leverage those relationships as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with other people, then go. Follow Jesus. Don't wait till later. 
And don't have to have a bunch of people that are pleased with you for you to do it. Do it because God's calling you to go. Listen, write this down. If you have divided loyalties, you are a disruptive force in the work of the kingdom of God and unfit for participating in it. Jesus says, choose. Don't stall. Don't be a people pleaser. And don't just be enthusiastic, but not really mean it. Because those things will be disruptive forces in your life, and you would bring that disruptive commitment to the kingdom of God. He's saying, choose me. Even if you've chosen before, again, choose me. These people are already out to follow him, out to hear him. They have made a decision to at least give the guy a shot. And as they're out there listening to God himself become flesh, he's challenging them to consider the cost. Following Jesus is not a feeling. It's not an intellectual insight. Following Jesus is a strenuous, creative, consuming task, like physical labor. That's why Jesus says, put your hand to the plow. And if you put your hand to the plow, but you're looking back, then you're unfit for service. What is he saying? Following me is strenuous work. It's not a free ride. It's not just a comfortable life. Like those who, who follow me end up serving they serve. They serve my kingdom in how they live their life. They serve my kingdom in the local church. They serve my kingdom. That's what they do. And I believe that God's going to call some of you who are adults to actually serve in God's kingdom to work with our children's ministry. Because here's the thing. Like, it's so great to be able to drop your kids off, and there are adults in there, and that they get to actually work with kids. And it's not just, hey, do we need volunteers in, in the children's ministry? Well, that would be nice. But here's the thing. I believe God's going to call some of you adults in here to come one hour and celebrate. You're going to come in here and we're going to worship together, but you're going to say, I'll spend a different hour and I'm going to serve in the children's ministry so that we will lay a godly foundation in children's ministry from which we hope kids will never recover from. We use a curriculum called Orange. You don't have to know it all. You'll get guided by Melissa Colby and her great team and they will show you how to be able to do that. But would you consider putting your hand to the plow? And not just be a consumer, but one who gives, who serves. Why? Write this down. Service in the kingdom of God is a result of following. To serve or follow Jesus is to serve or follow God. So what happens? If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, God is calling you to minister, to serve. It's the same word. You say, Dave, you're a minister. No, I just serve. I use my gifts in God's kingdom just like God is calling you to use your gifts in his kingdom. And believe me, the gifts you have are a lot of gifts I don't have. So he's calling us together to serve his kingdom. Head, heart, body, soul, and strength. That's what followers do. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I just want you to think about your own life for just a moment. I want to ask, this morning as you listened, do you realize your need to choose Jesus. He'll forgive you of all your sin. He'll wash them away. He will make you white as snow. He will call you into a greater work that will transcend all the splendor you think you could get in this life. And he's calling you because he loves you. He's saying, I'm willing to have paid for your sin. And if that's you today, we just take a moment and just say, I'm making a decision today. And if that's you, just pray a prayer like this, right where you're sitting. Just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I choose to follow you. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I believe that your death on the cross was for me. 
and that it forgave my sin in the eyes of God. I ask you to wash me as white as snow and make me a new creation on the inside because today, Jesus, I give you me. And today, if you prayed that prayer right now, will you just raise your hand? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, anywhere around the room that you made that decision right over here on the end. Greatest decision you could ever make. You might be in the loft and my friends will see you up there. But if you made that decision and believers in the room, please, I'm just gonna beg you in this hour uh, at 11 a.m., bring some friends. Bring some friends who need to hear the good news of Jesus. Believers in the room right now, I just want you to just uh, have a moment before God and say, God, what's my danger? Have I been stalling with you? Is my danger that I've been enthusiastic, but I really haven't been following through? Is my danger that I'm looking for the people pleasing and I might be doing stuff for the wrong reason? I wanna please you, God. And so would you just be honest in this moment with God about that? God, I believe right now as your children are making those decisions that there is freedom happening that there's just a, I'm being honest with you and that you're freeing us up, God, to be the people that you call us to be and to serve and love you in the way that we can. We're considering right now the cost. I pray that out of today, God, your word, that godly decision will be made that will impact the future life course of every person in this room. We pray in Jesus' name and together we said, amen. Will you give it up for what God's doing in and through and among us? Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.